0: Sorry, Eric, I know you were deep into conversation there, so, excellent, Sonobui neighbors, is that what you said, oh, yeah, you said the the fictional, excellent, Um, all right, so, and I can tell today's one of these days that I'm just a little scatterbrained, so, um, uh, just give me a little patience while I mumble a little bit. So, today's text, uh, oh by the way, good morning everybody, I'm Quinn Abram. Um, I think everybody knows me, oh, maybe a few of you, do. I don't know you guys very well, so good morning. And um, so to, today's text is Matthew 14, um, and I'll say this again, just because I can think there's always still some confusion around lectionary. Um Uh, A few weeks ago, somebody said to me, you know, what is a lectionary? And I said, well, you know, my my response is it is uh, it's nothing more than if you had somebody working for a church that went through and laid out a teaching plan and said, this is what we're going to teach for the next few months. That's pretty much what a lectionary is. But it was a whole bunch of people. And then and we didn't pay them anything. That's what makes it. Did we? You're right, we did. We were kind people. We didn't have to, but we did. That's almost (laughs) Jesus-like. It's time for us to do it again. So, Anyway, so when we say lectionary, it just means that we're using this formulated teaching plan about what we're going to teach on each week. I absolutely love it because I think, as a teacher, I'll put a little too much stress on myself to come up with something novel, hip, and cool to talk about. Um, and then that puts more pressure on trying to make sure I can share that information, Wherein, in this case, it really makes it much more straightforward. This week, we're going to study Matthew 14. Uh, it actually was Matthew 14:13 through something higher than 21, um, but I s- lopped off the second half, and I just want to focus on 13 through 21, which is this famous passage about Jesus feeding 5,000 men. All right. But before I get into it, I started thinking about what's kind of my knee-jerk reaction to this passage. Because as soon as I heard this is what I was going to be teaching on, I want to tell you that I wasn't very excited about it. And I started thinking, why am I not very excited about this? And um, And so when I say getting over my prejudice, that really has absolutely nothing to do with feeding the 5,000. It has to do with what my problem is. And what I had to work through this morning to get ready to teach on feeding the five thousand. So I want to share just a moment with you what my challenge was there, and how I think maybe as we go through this morning, how you'll see how how maybe I, I got I made a little movement here. I got I made some uh, progress as a Christian. So here's my issue: the feeding the five thousand to me and telling this story. I think the easiest way to say it is it kind of sounds like bragging a little bit. You know, it's, yeah, Jesus did it and that was a great thing, but to make a big deal out of it, there's a part of me that somehow or another struggles with it because I sort of say, well, yeah, I mean, for followers, we all, I mean, he could have fed 10,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000. You know, he can bring us back from the dead. I mean, like. It's almost like a. It, it has this vibe of, of sort of a chest thumping. You know, I'm something special kind of thing. And so there's something about that that is messing my messing with my brain. And I started thinking about that. And um, and anytime I think of negative things, I'll eventually make full loop back to Facebook. Um, so uh, I started thinking that you know what, this is part of my problem with why I don't like Facebook that I need to get over because. Um Shirley, I lost your name for just a second, but it's not you, it's me. Um, Shirley this morning said she wanted to hear us talk about some celebrations, some answered prayer, something great that happened, that kind of thing. And that's awesome. And, and it's like I can get behind it, and I can completely get excited about it. And so uh, if I'm at work and something happens really good, which does occasionally happen, you know, I want to come home and I want to tell Jill or tell the kids that something cool happened. And I in my brain, I think that's okay. I think that's a nice thing. It's good to share. Now, if I were to, so let's say that something that good was happening. Let's say my boss gave me a good review and I got a raise. So let's say, for example, that might be what, what could happen. So if I come home and tell Jill that I'm good with that. But if I come home and I make an eight foot by eight foot banner and I write that on the banner and I strap that to my car and I drive around the streets, that's a little weird. In my brain, that's what Facebook is. Facebook is like you're running up and down the street saying, hey, everybody, I just ran my first 5K. Or, hey, everybody, you know, whatever it happens to be. Am I a little messed up? Huh? Well, exactly. And that's where I think I'm messed up. Because I started thinking about that, and I thought, no, what's really wrong with me is I can't deal with modern society. I can't, I, can't deal, I can't deal with the fact that we're no longer a face-to-face society in everything we do. And instead, this idea that instead of talking to someone face-to-face and sharing with them, now our society has moved to Facebook. Now, now there's plenty of issues with Facebook, but I think I probably give it a little bit too hard of a time. And that, going back to this story, that it's that kind of mindset. It's this thing about, I don't like it when people brag. I don't like it when people pump themselves up. And I'm so overly sensitive to it that sometimes I won't let good things happen and be celebrated and shared because I'm so scared that it's going to come off like I've got a wrong attitude or something. Does that kind of make sense? And I think that's why when I read this, I sort of struggled with it. So I want to read... Um, this what we're going to do today. We've got it's twenty till, so we you know we've got a little over half an hour. Um, I'm going to try to walk through my thoughts on Matthew 14, and then I'm going to have us break up into some small groups. And I've got a couple of questions for us to talk about. So we'll give some. And not to mention, I want you when you break up in the small group, we will have you kind of introduce each other, make sure everybody knows each other. All right. So Matthew 14. I hope you guys will be able to see this. Is that too little? It's pretty small, isn't it? Well, I'll read it. All right. So Matthew 14, 13 through 21 says when when Jesus heard what had happened to John, he left in a boat and went to a lonely place by himself. Pause. Stop. What happened to John? Anybody know? Yeah. Yeah. This is not a this is not a small thing. This is a huge deal. Jesus, the guy that's leading the charge, running ahead of Jesus, telling the world about this great guy that's coming, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has just had his head cut off. So right away, you have to start like softening your heart a little bit in this story. It's like, I'm getting all wound up about this whole 5,000. Put that all behind. Let's look at what's happening here. Jesus is in a very, very difficult time. The last thing he needs me doing is walking in while he's mourning about his cousin and say, hey, Jesus, I think you're pumping yourself up a little much here. Right? Right? You can see how far out of whack my brain was as I was reading this. All right. So when Jesus heard what had happened to John, he left in a boat and went to a lonely place by himself. But the crowds heard about it and followed him on foot from the towns. When he arrived, he saw a great crowd awaiting. He felt sorry for them and healed those who were sick. Okay, so Jesus is in mourning. He ends up being confronted with this crowd of people, and even though he's in mourning and having a really, really bad day, the first thing he does is he helps them out because one of the reasons they're following him is because there's some uh, very unhealthy people there. Okay, right, verse fifteen. When it was evening, his followers came to him and said, "No one lives in this place, and it is already late. This this place we're living in, this place we're at, is quite desolate. There's not much there." They say, let's send the people away so they can go to the towns and buy food for themselves. But Jesus answers, answered, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said back to Jesus, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus said, bring the bread and the fish to me. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking to heaven, he thanked God for the food. Jesus divided the bread, and he gave it to his followers, and then his followers gave it to the people. All the people ate and were satisfied. Then the followers filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of food. There were about 5,000 men there who ate, not counting the women and children. So let's talk about the key events that happened here. So just so we have the story together, we've got John was beheaded. Jesus withdraws on a boat to basically to mourn. Crowds follow. Jesus heals in the crowds. That evening comes and the people have no food. Jesus asks his disciples to feed them. The disciples say, we only have five loaves and two fish. We can't do it. Jesus says, bring that to me. And he asks everybody to sit down. He prays. He breaks the bread, he distributes the food using the disciples, he has them help. Everybody ate until they were full and 12 baskets were left over. Okay. First of all, is this an important story? Is this a key story for some reason? Is this, is, is this something we should be paying attention to? Jen talked about this uh, discussion of cannons and guns, um, just cannons. It's a weird word, canon. This, <clears throat> with what, it, it's a it, a, a, a cannon that shoots things as two ends, and a biblical canon canonization is one, is a collection of writings. Okay, so anyways, the, the 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 point of this is that this story is in in this Bible. It's in this gathering of stories that we call the Bible. But one thing that I didn't realize until um, I started digging into this is that there are two miracles that are in all four Gospels. One of those is Christ's resurrection, so that kind of makes sense. We all agree that that's a pretty big deal. That should be in all four. And by all four Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and J- John, the books of the Bible, first four books in the New Testament. But this is the other one. This story shows up in all four tellings of Jesus' life in the Bible. So, you know, it, you know, that doesn't necessarily say anything, but... All four writers thought it was important enough to include it, and it's the only one other than Jesus' resurrection like that. So it's like, hmm, this is a big deal. So I want to ask you guys, what jumps out to you? It's time for you guys to talk back to me. So I'm going to back up here. Oop, back up here. There we go. Um, So there was some things that jumped out to me. It might be one of those. So, what jumped out to you? What, what about this story maybe uh, you hadn't thought about before and, and hearing it there, or thinking freshly about it uh, stood out to you? Steve. It's like, how do you have this basket, let's say, that has one fish in it, and you somehow reach in and you come out with two fish, or you come out with one and you look back in there and there's another one in there, or what happens? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? What stood out to you or jumps out to you? Yeah, I was thinking, I think if any of us can think about having uh, someone close to us who has has died, and let's imagine um, in that situation maybe there was a funeral home or some sort of viewing thing going on, and how rude it would seem to have people coming to the funeral home to ask you to do things for them. You know, it's like, but that's pretty much what was happening here. You know, he was really trying to get away and mourn, and people were just, chasing him, uh, wanting him to help them. So, yeah. What else jumps out to you? Eric. (laughs) Yeah when I was reading, I thought the same thing. I, I my assumption, and it's just my assumption was that they just heard that Jesus was in the area. That's my assumption. Cause I can't, I couldn't make any sense out of if they heard that John the Baptist was beheaded and then they chased Jesus. That doesn't seem, I couldn't make any sense out of that. But, but I think the fact that they, it sounds like there was some people that needed healing. Um, it might make sense that they heard Jesus was in the area. So they went running after him. Oh, that's an interesting point. yeah Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, and that's a great point because you hear stories from time to time when someone passes oftentimes, It's a messy time, and oftentimes there will be, in the middle of the morning, there will be one person that kind of rises up and seems to take control of everything. So, yeah, very interesting. Okay. Anybody else? What jumped out, if anything? Judy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What I think is interesting about this, as I was digging through this, is that we oftentimes, like you, like a Bible, might even put like a, a title above a section or something. In this particular story, we all hear Jesus feeds 5,000. And I think that's another thing that has hurt me because it puts all the focus on the 5,000. And yet you'll see when I wrote out the things that stood out to me, the number 5,000 isn't anywhere in there. Not to say it's not important. It is, I think it's very important because it was in all the different texts. But it, it helps me to see that the story, I, I'm focusing on the wrong thing in the story sometimes. And I'm kind of missing out, as you said, just that incredible compassion that was going on there. Um, and, f- and for me, one thing that I, I kind of got in the end of this that I think stood out more than anything else, and I, and I decided I just wanted us to focus on, which we'll focus on now for the rest of the day, is this last line, because this is kind of weird. That not only did the people eat, and not only did they get to the point where they had met their very basic need, but it sounds like they were maybe went beyond that. They were completely full to the point that they couldn't really eat more. Um, And so there was a bunch of leftovers, and then there's these big piles of leftovers. And so it's kind of strange to me because there's a part of me, again, that says it almost has this wasteful thing to it. That's where my brain wants to go. And so I started digging into that a little bit. Um, and so for me, if you say what jumps out to, to me, it's that last section. And I think it's, it's this that I finally came to. It's this idea that God's bigger than that, whatever that is in your life. God's bigger than that. It's this idea that our needs are never too large. And what I mean by that is that God will not necessarily just meet our need. Sometimes he will blow us away and exceed our need. And that was kind of the aha moment for me while I was digging through this. I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never really thought through that it was not a uh, bicep-pumping, look-how-cool-Jesus-is moment. It's the other way around. Jesus is the last shall be first. He's always a bottom-up type of person. And the idea is that Jesus saw this ridiculous need, and he didn't just meet it, but he surpassed it. And so God's bigger than that. He was bigger than that need. He'll be bigger than our needs. Our needs are never too big. And I I went back and I, I started digging into this a little bit, and I looked at Psalm 23, and we'll just look at that real quick here. Um, I know you won't be able to see this because it's a little bit small. Um, But uh, find it there. Here we go. So listen to Psalm 23. It's a famous one. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm water. He gives me new strength. He leads me on paths that are right for the good of his name. Even if I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are here. You are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff comfort me. You prepare a meal for me in front of my enemies. You pour oil of blessing on my head. And then right here it is. You fill my cup to overflowing. You fill my cup to overflowing. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will be with me all my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And again, I'd never really thought about that aspect of it. But when I was doing some cross-referencing, people pointed out this part right here. You fill my cup to overflowing and the connection to him feeding the 5,000 and there being excess in the end. And this idea, this idea that we, we tend to get to this point where we don't recognize that God won't or Christ won't just meet our needs, but they'll exceed our needs if we'll let them. In Psalm 132, there's a, another line in there that says the same thing, that uh, God will more than meet our needs. You guys can look that up if you want. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. We don't normally think of, at least I don't normally think that way. All right, so let's break out into some groups. Um, you guys can do this, just kind of find a table and kind of circle around or move your chairs around. I'd say groups of, you know, I don't know, anywhere from five to eight people or whatever you want. And then we've got two different uh, sets of questions um, I want you guys to talk through. Chip, chop, chip. You guys want us to move some furniture for you here? Would that hit, be helpful? It's coming. Charlie, you don't need to do that. <laughs> there you go. Is there enough seats here? Okay. All right. Okay, so, so the first question, guys, is that, Let's talk about needs. So I want you to think of it: Are you comfortable or are we comfortable trusting, asking, expecting our needs to be met from God? I struggle with this. So I want you guys to discuss, are you comfortable asking for God to meet your needs and expecting God to meet those needs? And then I want you to share some examples. So do you have a situation where you guys have really leaned on God and uh, an example for him to meet some basic needs in your lives. Does that make make sense? You guys kind of might be a little hard, but give it a shot. And also run around your circle real fast and introduce yourselves. So